0: everybody, welcome back to Gray Malkin Lane, the podcast where queer friends and allies gather to review and discuss the original X-Men comics from the 1960s. Now, last episode, we put the angel on trial. It was a lot of fun. I hope you had some fun with us along the way. Uh, Before that, we reviewed X-Men number 48 with Will Robson uh, and some of our favorite guests. Uh, But today we are stepping away from the X-Men and just doing a side venture into Spider-Man's title for one issue and one issue only. Uh, As a reminder, we recently spent a lot of time on the podcast with Magneto's reformed Brotherhood of Evil Mutants. Quicksilver, Scarlet Witch, and the Toad were recruited. Uh, The two twins left the Avengers. And at the end of this mission, um, uh, Toad kicked Magneto into the ocean and said, fuck you, <laughs> and went off on his own with uh, Quicksilver and the Scarlet Witch. So we're going to pick up their adventures uh, very briefly in this title, uh, which is Amazing Spider-Man number 71. This is from April 1969, written and edited by Stan Lee, with art by uh, John Romita Sr. and Jim Mooney, and letters by Sam Rosen. Uh, but first, we're going to talk to our, uh, our wonderful panel of guests for today. I am super honored uh, to be joined by the artist, uh, Dennis Calero. Dennis, how are you? Hello, I'm fine. Thank you. Pleasure to be here. Good. And I'm thrilled to have uh, both Richie Soros and, and Daryl Lawrence back with us today as well. Richie, Daryl, how are you guys?
1: Well, I'm doing great.
0: I'm doing even better now.
1: Well, happy Saturday.
0: We are recording this uh, at the end of June. It is kind of a heavy time in America right now with the Roe v. Wade news that's been passing. Uh, I know there's always kind of a heavy heart of things happening in the country as we record, but it's wonderful to take a break from all of the intensity happening in our country and just uh, nerd out over comic books for a little while with educated, wonderful people. Uh, So I'm gonna have each of you introduce yourselves. Let us know your gender pronouns and where we might know you from. Uh, Feel free to plug any work that you've got going on if you'd like to do that as well. Uh, And uh, the question for introductions today, if you have a story you're comfortable sharing, name something you've been accused of that you were not guilty of. Uh, (laughs) This is something that happens to Spider-Man every three months, (laughs) it seems. We'll talk about that in our issue review.
2: Uh, So let's begin with Dennis. Hi, I'm Dennis Calero. I'm a writer and artist. I am a him, he. And uh, I was accused of talking in my first architecture class, uh, and then I protested so loudly I almost got kicked out of the class. So, can't win either way. Well, yeah, so you, you were accused
0: of talking, and then you definitely had some things to say once you were falsely yeah. accused,
2: yeah. <laughs> and I was yeah. like, I might as well just have just said sorry and then just move on.
1: Uh, fantastic. Let's go over to Richie next. Oh, Richie, uh, he, him, uh, just just a fan and uh, pretty much it. Uh, What I I was accused of something you were accused of, but you didn't do it. Well, I don't want to say I didn't do it, but I'll just, I'll just keep to, you know, Um, one of my ex girlfriends walked in on me talking to another girl at a college party. Okay. And, you know, I had a, you know, had a, Make up some some truths about what I wasn't doing and what I was doing.
2: I like that phrase. Make up some truths, <laughs> uh,
1: and
0: then you and then you married one or the other later. Oh no, she slapped the shit out of me. <laughs> <laughs> and then uh, Daryl, over to you.
3: Hey everyone, I'm Daryl. I use he him pronouns. I am from the X Factor Files podcast. And we're going to dive in more to that um, when we are chatting with Dennis, I'm quite sure. Um, And I think the hardest thing to be accused of, and it's a positive one, but it's when your partner buys someone a gift and it's like a couple's gift for like a birthday party or a Christmas present, and you're unaware of what it is. And you're (laughs) being thanked and they're like, oh, thank you so much. I love it. And you're like, I'm so happy. Yeah, we, we thought right <laughs> out when we saw it. Just like rolling with the punches. Yeah, you're accusing me of being like a great gift giver. And I totally didn't even know what was wrapped up in that box. So um, that's always an awkward one because you really have to think on your feet and improv your way
0: out of that situation. Fantastic. And then lastly, I'm Chad Anderson. I use he, him pronouns. I uh, after graduating college had to get my social work license, which involves this massive test that costs a lot of money, and I failed the test the first time. not because Not because I'm a bad student. In fact, I had a really high GPA. I'm just a bad test taker. I get major anxiety, so I'm back to take the test a second time, and I passed like by one point, like the lowest score possible with one point, and I passed. And I'm great at my job. This test is not a reflection of my clinical <laughs> skills. Uh, but a month later, I got contacted by the testing center and they accused me of cheating on the test. And they had this asinine story about they thought I snuck in a fax machine and I shared answers from the test with someone else. And it was so stupid. <laughs> I was like, I'm going to get a lawyer if you don't backed out. And they were like, oh, yeah, yeah, there's no there's no case here. It was a bu- this bizarre turn of events. Uh, so that's the story that comes to mind. There's more to the story, but it's a weird Whoa, one. What?
3: I mean, for the kids listening, a fax machine is what you would get to get mm-hmm. letters in between the mail, which is really old school, and email, where it's all electronic. And there's no way you can sneak a fax machine somewhere. Um, it's going to be pretty noticeable. I mean, I can see you in the testing center, like, loading the roll of paper, like, into this fax machine
0: it was like a mini Cerebro unit with fax capabilities. <laughs> yes, it was uh, It was very exciting. Uh, yeah, I, I have to remind our listeners, I am 43. I did exist in the time of the facts <laughs> many years ago. Uh, so uh, Daryl uh, and I have been friends for a little while, and he and his partner are doing a newer podcast focusing on Peter David's X Factor run, which is one of my favorite runs of all time. They recently had me on a guest as a guest on their podcast, uh, and I'm regularly inviting professional guests onto my podcast. The issue we reviewed uh, uh, that day had gorgeous, gorgeous pencils uh, in it, by, done by Mr. Dennis Calero, and uh, I spent a lot of time analyzing that issue and thought this is someone I should invite to be on my podcast. So, Dennis, that is my journey to you very briefly, but. Uh, let everybody know, if you're willing, just give us a little bit of your bio uh, as a comic book professional. Where might we know you from? Uh, and then kind of lead into uh, your early work at Marvel, if you will.
2: Sure. Um, I'm probably best known for drawing a book called X-Men Noir and X-Men Noir 2. Um, I also, with uh, Van Jensen, the great writer Van Jensen, I adapted the Casino Royale, the first the first James Bond novel into a graphic novel for dynamite um i I did a long-running web comic with todd stashwick called devil inside uh and right now i'm doing some graphic novels for with uh, sandy king carpenter uh for her uh for storm king for her and john carpenter's uh, uh, uh independent uh publisher sure uh and then uh what got me, my first big gig was X Factor at Marvel, and that was uh, a lot of dumb luck, more than anything else. Um, should I go into it now? Yeah, yeah, let's hear the story. Okay. Sure, uh, I I've been I actually went to school for architecture, um, which is one of the reasons why I tell my students or people I lecture to, like, whatever it is that you want to study, make sure that you get time In an office doing that thing because that's going to be your life. Like, don't don't just look at the end product. I want to be an architect or I want to be a concept artist or whatever. Don't just look at the end product. Look at the workday of a person doing what you want to do because that's going to be your life. And so when I went um, to intern at an architecture's uh, architectural office, I was like, nope, this is not this is not at all what I want my life to look like. Um, And I love comics. Um, and I was always veering towards illustration. Going to architecture was almost like a way to appease my mom, like a way to, like, quote unquote, make money doing what I do. Uh, and instead, I just said, you know what? I'm always looking for an excuse to take an illustration class or something like that. So I just bit the bullet and switched over to illustration. Um, I started working, actually started working for Marvel um, during my senior year doing coloring, what we used to do. Uh, Instead of the computer, we used to use use a thing. People people still use it in technical technical, um, vocations called an airbrush, which was this sort of silver pen-like device that you could pump air and paint through. Um, It's like the airbrush in Photoshop, but it was real. (laughs) And uh, we would color these large advertisements and covers, and they kept me pretty busy. uh, And in insurance at a very young age, which was great. Um, And then there was the crash the big crash of the 90s um and there just wasn't a lot of work uh and i had already been kind of moving into other areas and more into graphic design my wife at the time was a graphic designer we were busy doing a lot of that kind of stuff um and it wasn't until and i i always kept a toe in because i was always interested in storytelling um and then a certain number of years later, a friend of mine, Sean Chen, who was a great comic book artist, was like, hey, yeah, perfect guy, great artist. And he was like, hey, are you still interested in comics at all? And I was like, yeah, sort of. And he's like, well, I'm not going to say that the business is booming right now, but it had stopped shrinking. And funnily enough, um, editors seem to be sort of like looking for the next hot, like 24-year-old artist who's probably just going to grab a check for $6,000 and then disappear for six months. They're looking for people with mortgages. <laughs> They're looking for responsible adults, you know, quote unquote responsible adults. Um at the same time, I sent, I was always trying to be very clever with my marketing. And email changed a lot of stuff. Because what you used to do, kiddies, uh, when you wanted to be an illustrator, is you would get postcards of your work done. Now, the one advantage artists had over writers is that a bad writer and a good writer can send over a script. First of all, that requires, uh, you know, a, a investment of time for the editor to read, right. and provided that both scripts are formatted correctly, a good script looks exactly like a bad script. It's really hard to tell from the surface, right? But a postcard, just an instant, you know, one look, and they know whether it's something that you're interested, they're interested sure. in yeah. or not. So I was cultivating relationships there, and I remember I sent. This is funny. I sent Joe Casada. I did a, I did a strip for Halloween for my friends, really. But you know, as a marketing, but also kind of just as a goof, called Tales to Make You Crap Your Pants, and it was a one-page comic <laughs> with a very, you know, I tried to draw it as well. What was funny to me was I was taking what I thought was the most crassless, not crass, not crass in terms of it was sexist or anything, but just a crass Mel Brooksian kind of joke page and then just draw the shit out of it and i sent that among other people to joe casado i'd been working with him and his wife for a while doing different things we worked on ash it was a book he did in the 90s and we did some stuff for marvel with them on the coloring side And he just sends me an email back going is this you meaning did you do this i go yeah and he writes back everything pencils inks colors i go yeah that's it's me man i did it all And I got a call from Marvel because, basically, what I was told was they were restarting X Factor with Peter David and a terrific artist to this day, a guy that I really admire. his work in Ryan Sook. Yeah, yeah. My, my my understanding is that Ryan agreed to do the book if it was bi-monthly, which is not something they did a lot in those days. But uh, Ryan is very meticulous in his work. I should be as meticulous in his work. I I, I will endeavor to be so someday. Um. And someone decided, it's just one of those things. It's nothing clandestine. Someone just decided, hey, this book would do better if it was a monthly book. And Ryan tried, and they brought me in to do a fill-in issue, because my stuff was sort of, in the, squint your eyes from 50 yards away, sort of vaguely looked like his work.
0: No, you're great. Uh, so let me interject, actually, for just a second while you're doing this. Yeah. So for, for our listeners, um, every few years, the X-Men line will kind of relaunch a little bit. They'll come up with kind of a new status quo. Uh, and this was a time when, when this X-Factor book launched. This was a time when mutants had been declared like an endangered species. Uh, the, the Scarlet Witch in the House of M cast the spell. There's only a couple hundred mutants left on the planet. And uh, there's different stories being told in different spaces, but you have a, a room full of writers who pitch different ideas. I could do this type of book. I could do this type of book. So you've got X-Force, which is an assassination squad, uh, and all these different books being told. But then you have uh, X-Factor coming out, which is the detective agency. And Peter David, of course, who's done so much incredible work over the years. And and, and uh, I would love to hear about your working relationship with Peter, Dennis, if you'd like to share uh, you can just see him going over the lists of available characters. And he chose kind of an unexpected cast of people from Strong Guy to Wolvesbane to Multiple Man, uh, uh, different characters that you would not normally pair together. And then adorably, he picked up this bizarre character named Layla Miller out of House of Eb, right. We and talk about all these characters in, in great detail another time, perhaps. Uh, and then he started telling this kind of hard-boiled detective story with a ton of character and a ton of revelations. Uh, and there's a lot of things that are very beloved to me from this series, which is wonderful. Um, but uh, it's it's a great, great book. So yeah, Dennis, go ahead and pick back up the narrative. Uh, you're working with Ryan, you're, you're doing these incredible kind of moody, shadowy noir pencils every month. Uh, what was it like to put this book together?
2: Well, here's the fun part. So it went from the job went from we're going to bring you in to do sort of like a few pages on the second issue so that Ryan can catch up and then move on to the third issue and then things will be fine. Then that turned into, well, can you just, can you do the entire fourth issue? That would really help Ryan to get ahead. And at this point, my understanding is Ryan was really struggling and he was not. Uh, if if I were, I am inter- I'm putting myself in his position, having been in a position myself where you are taking a job under a certain set of circumstances that then that, that change for reasons outside of your control. Right. I wouldn't be surprised. I don't want to speak for him, but I wouldn't be surprised if it was getting a little bit annoyed because I would be. Uh, and that turned into doing issue six as well. So uh, I'm not even done with the back half of issue two. And I've committed to drawing issue four, issue six, part of issue three. And by the time I got to the end of issue two, Ryan had quit. Hmm. And, and not in any sort of, cavalier explosive way just like guys this isn't what i wanted to do and i'm just going to go do something else so now i've been looking for another artist to take over the series and i'm like there's an obvious trace over here and i'm 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 unabashedly campaigning for the job and i got the job uh probably because no one else was available no one else was around (laughs) which is how which is how people get jobs in comics i tell people when people go how do i get a job in comics i go you have to have been cultivating contacts working on your work and then some dumb guy like me will completely drop the ball because someone got sick someone died i don't f- i woke up that morning not feeling like doing it and they have to scramble to find someone and they're then going to call you sure and that's how for 90 percent of the people i've met who work in comics on the regular that's they have a version of that story so i'm drawing x factor and pete's uh, turning up these incredible scripts. We've never met. We meet at the premiere of um of uh X-Men Origins Wolverine. Oh, okay. Okay. <laughs> uh which was fun. It was just fun. Um he taught me how to bowl that night. That was fun too. Uh and it was it was a, a fun job to work on. And 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 what I like to, to touch on what you talked about. It's these crazy cast of characters. I use a lot of reference. It's just, it's, I'm an Al Williamson guy. Uh, I'm a Gene Colan guy, sure. and I wanted to bring my version of that into contemporary comics. But when you're drawing a, a cast of characters of eight, six to eight people, that can be kind of difficult. But what ended up happening was, um, because we were young and everyone was excited, I got together a group of friends, and we, it would be a party every month with six or you know, to eight of us. And we would shoot the entire, I'd have layouts and we would go over the script. It was like having a little play and we would shoot the entire light and shoot the entire comic and then hang out for dinner, have a pizza or whatever. And we did that for like a good six months. It was just kind of a monthly thing that we would do just to stay in touch. Um, so everyone in those issues, they're all my friends. So sometimes I just like to, even though uh, uh, my work has progressed since then, and it's it's a little painful to see some of some of it. Some of it I, I'm quite happy with. Some of it it's not so much, but it is wonderful to have this sort of um, frozen in amber photograph of, of that time in my life. Absolutely. Yeah, it was great.
0: My favorite issue of yours, I believe it's number six. Uh, uh, there's a guy named Dr. Leary who has siren bound up. Uh, just It's called Captive Audience. That's the name. Oh, yeah, you've got it right there where she's oh, yeah. stuck in the theater and there's just this slow, creepy, helpless kind of burn all the way through the book until she finally breaks free. And when I read it at the time, I'm like, God, that was good. Like, it was just, it's so intense, this kind of done in one space. Yeah, um, that's that's issue five, Chad. Oh, pardon me, thank you very much.
2: That's I, very gratifying uh, on a couple of different levels because that was, um, I, once, I once asked Mike Mignola, the one the incredible artist like because w- there was a this moment if you know his work of transition where he was going from more rendered stuff more more slightly more traditional marvel-esque stuff to the what he's doing now and i asked him was there ever a moment someone stopped you and kind of went like what are you doing and he knew exactly what I was talking about and he was like one time i drew this guy and i made him look like he was 20 feet high next to the other guy and the editor was like you sure you want to do that and i was like yeah and that was it that was the last time <laughs> <laughs> for me, that's that issue. That that's the issue when a couple of editors were looking at my work, kind of askew, going like, "Are you? This is the direction you want to go in?" And I'm just like, "Yeah, that's what I'm. This is what I'm doing." Uh, so it's incredibly gratifying. So many years later to hear you say that. Yeah, it's great. Uh, Daryl,
0: you're X Factor expert. Uh, take us over for a minute. Well, uh,
3: I just want to pile on the compliments first of all for issue
0: five
2: because uh, thank you.
0: Um, uh,
3: we waxed poetic about that issue for almost an hour on our podcast um so if folks want to listen to that episode after you're done listening to this full episode i encourage you to do so it's episode 7 of our podcast oh i'm um, going to and the way that you were able to have emotions expressed and uh, the great thing about that issue is i don't know maybe a third or a quarter of the panels have no dialogue, there's no text. It is your art conveying the story and it's just incredibly powerful. So uh, when you're working with the script that you're given from Peter David and then translating that and finding your own way to express things, um, how do you work that out between your process and then Peter's process? And how do you meet in the middle as a writer and then the artist on a book for something like that where, you are telling that story purely through visual medium with no writing.
2: Well, I'm going to have to demystify the process a little bit. I hate to do this for you, but uh, at least in contem- at contemporary monthly comics, is very little time. I mean, look, I have I have done books and had the time on occasion to, like when we, I did the James Bond book, me and Van, um, we didn't meet in person, but we had the chance to have a lot of conversations about what we're going to do and how we were going to, Uh, approach certain things. And we also were lucky to have a really good uh, relationship with in Fleming Publishing. The people there, Johnny and, and, um, oh, and someone else, uh, she's going to kill me. I'm forgetting her name, but they were both really great and helpful. And it felt like a real team effort. And when I approached that artwork, it felt like, okay, I'm, I've, I'm, uh, um, it's an actor having six months to prepare learning a new language or whatever, but monthly comics is more like tv which is like here's the script let's get on with it um so you interpret as best you can and 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 working with models who often were working actors um people that i known or people that are friends of people that i known um whose job it is to emote so once i explain the scene and they they would often surprise me how they would interpret emotion which is another way that it was really gratifying to to first of all to take a process that can be very solitary and make it more uh collaborative in retrospect i realized it was, it was very important to me um so i can't discount the actors or the models um contribution to that uh and then it really would be if you, if peter or someone else thought you got something really wrong Uh, you do it again (laughs) and that was it you try to you try to ask like well how how did you think but of course i should add that you have layouts before sort of um simple thumbnails to make sure that you're generally going in the right direction that you have the story correct um and there's also times when you may get it wrong or it may be a different interpretation than the writer had in his or her head but it's time to move to the next issue. And unless it's something that's going to cause like someone a problem or cost money somehow, we're just going to keep, keep the train moving. Yeah.
0: Yeah. I, uh, I to be transparent, I was working for the Marvel comics handbooks during this time. So back in the 2005 oh, okay. to 10 era. Uh, and I read a lot of scripts for the job I was doing back then. And Peter David's scripts in a very different way than a lot of other writers. He's very, detailed he's very like you can tell he's planning things out 15 issues from now even if he's never going to get there uh there, there is a way that he puts things together um he's just a lovely person i've met him at a couple of cons he's a he's a he's a great guy uh and there's also uh i think this was after you left the book but there's also some iconic queer moments uh in in the Xbox oh, sure. books along the way too including uh richter and shatterstar's first on panel kiss which is such a beautiful moment
2: i knew uh, that that was coming
0: yeah, yeah, and Peter's done that with other characters like Moondragon uh, along the way, where we get those like on, on 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 page references of people being queer. It's always important to see those stories, of course, uh, mixed in. Dennis, uh, what
2: led to you uh, leaving X Factor? Um, they found someone else. <laughs> they found someone else. Uh, I was the the editor that I was working with uh, specifically um, was great. The editor above him. Just wasn't feeling what I was doing, which is fine. I'm not, that's not a, that's not meant to be a complaint. Um, It, 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 I'm very grateful for that job and I have no ill will, uh, but, and it was, and it certainly wasn't, I don't want to imply to anybody that was like, you're fired. It was just like, that's all we got for you. Good luck. And, you know, then let me know, like, you know, and I had time to go find something else. And I had, um, been, you know, one thing I tell people is that this business is, illustration in general, writing it any any freelance work in general, it's you know wrapping up on the job you had, starting the job that you have, and then looking for the next job. It's yeah. all has to happen at the same time. And I know a lot I know a lot of really talented guys who are like, work 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 work, work, work 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 work. okay, the work's done. now let me go find something. Oh, it took me two months to find something else. Yeah, like you got to start you know that would be that would be my general tactic is you know yeah about 60 days to 120 days i just start putting feelers out like i'm gonna be finishing up keep me in mind because it's not like this is a very high pressure business for editors um any any business of any kind it would behoove someone to understand the people that are buying from you what are their concerns what are they what are their challenges and the challenge of an editor very very often an editor doesn't have the 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 room the space to go. I have a book that's starting in a year. Let me start putting the team together. let me start putting out it doesn't happen it's 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 a lot more like this book's coming out in three months. I don't have an artist yet uh oh look, this person just sent me an email they'll do I like their work they're fine. They have it did they screw me over? No. Okay, good. They're they're, they're the guys. <laughs> so a lot of jobs are like just being, you know, having sent an email of JPEGs. I mean JPEGs sending emails and JPEGs is so much easier than it used to be. Um you can just send them, hey, just keeping you up to date on what I'm doing. I'm finishing a job on so and so date. Um And then eventually if your career progresses, that, that, that transmutes a little bit where people do begin to seek you out a little bit. I mean, look, I'm not, I don't have any illusions. I'm not Jim Lee. I'm not a super a plus star. I'm, I'm in a place where I'm very comfortable because no one pays that much attention to me and they leave me alone. (laughs) And I can, for the most part, if I email, if something's ending and I've been working with Sandy for a while and I'm, I got two more, I got to finish a book I'm doing for her. And then I'm, I'm slated to do two more books for her. So I'm, booked for almost two years at this point
1: sure
2: minus all the other stuff that i'm doing but even even when i wasn't that lucky i was in i've always been in a position where i could go i'm going to be free in like two to three months i tell two to four people and invariably one of them will go yeah you know what i got something coming up let me know when you're done um, and I've been very fortunate that way. I've been, I've been able to make a decent living and provide for my kid and people in my life doing this. And I'm very grateful. Weirdly,
0: podcasting, uh, this is not my full time venture, but it's kind of the same. I, I I spent this week as an example, preparing for this interview. While editing the next interview to come out, but also promoting the issue and the one before that and scheduling the next ones like three months from now, (laughs) like all that's happening
2: at the same time. It's a separate, it's a separate skill set. And facilitation of of schedule is not easy. For a lot of my career, I was not good at it and it caused it. I I suffer from a lot of anxiety, which I I keep under control with a lot with, with the good therapist. Um, but a lot of it also was. And I say, I share this because ho- hopefully, maybe someone might hear this and it might be helpful. Um, I remember distinctly a, a, some years ago, it being like the last week of December, and I'm like, I'm I'm sick of this. It uh, it's causing me super anxiety. I can't enjoy what I do. I'm not. I can't be as dependable as I want to be in my career. In 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 dependable, really, because like when I tell someone I, something will be done. A certain day, I want to be the person that they could go. Well, if he says it's going to be done, it's going to be done. Like I'm not even going to worry about it. Um, and I look for planning software, but everything I found was like for companies, and it wasn't applicable to an individual person. And then I'm not being paid. I found a a piece of planning an app app available on the iOS ecosystem called Things Three, and it it literally changed my life. It lets you. It's not just a checklist. It lets you organize your goals, break down your goals into projects, your projects into tasks, and, and you can get as granular as you want. And I found that I was in a position where I could plan the biggest project, but by getting it to that granular level where I just broke it down into simple steps, the way that I was explained to me was like, no one can move a castle. No one can build a castle, but you can move a brick and if you move enough bricks you can you make a wall, make enough walls you got your castle. Um so yeah, so it literally changed my life, but the, it it is to get back to what you're saying. It is a separate skill set that not everybody has and I'm not sure it comes natural to me. Um but being but uh, I find that I I was able to build into that you books on time organization because you know really all that you have in your life is time. That's it. Sure. So how how you spend it is that's your life. <laughs> that's how you decide what to do with your time. That is what your life is.
0: Your uh, your castle analogy makes me think of the 60s story we reviewed earlier on the podcast where Count Nefaria, the Italian billionaire, moves his castle from Italy to New York brick by brick <laughs> and has it reassembled. That's what I,
2: that's what I was thinking of. <laughs> that's, that's why I brought it up. <laughs> uh, who was your favorite X-Factor character to draw? Oh, a Madox. Was super fun to draw not the easiest to draw he's a pain in the ass you know there's always 17 million of them uh but you know but that's labor um but he was always fun to draw it was always fun to like yeah because would go like draw you know give me like 20 of them in the background and they're all like just have different expressions maybe, maybe the guy in the front is emoting this or emoting that but then everyone else just go nuts um and peter's stuff was very freeing that way he was both to my memory very specific because peter is one of the few truly visual writers that i've worked with sure sure um but he was also knew when it was a good idea to delegate and to say uh i want something like this and there were and there was even times when i was like i'm not sure the transition from this panel to this panel works what if we did something like this something like that And he was like yeah whatever you know whatever works he's off writing something else he Again, to convey like it's he both cares deeply about what he's doing, but he's also by the time I have that script, he's working on the next two. Right. So there's there there is an understanding that you have to, as an artist, exhibit a certain amount of independence and autonomy. Yeah,
0: yeah. Uh, Daryl, do you have any other X Factor questions before we transition the conversation a little bit? Uh, you stole mine about the favorite to
3: draw. Um, <laughs> a letter was written probably while you were still the artist. It appeared a couple issues afterwards, um, just saying uh, it was highly critical. And Peter David did a great job uh, finessing it and poking fun at it. Where It basically said, oh, well, I can't believe that I'm reading this second-rate book with a bunch of second-rate characters. <laughs> and um, he just lampooned at the rest of the letters column um, because, he, like you referenced, Chad, um, the characterizations in there um, were somewhat open because these characters weren't extremely well-known. Right. So but did you find that that was a bit more freeing as an artist to uh, draw them and interpret them versus the main cast of the X-Men where people have certain expectations of the Wolverines, the Cyclopses, the Jean Grays of the world.
2: You know, that's actually, I think, very interesting um, because like many things in life, it's complex. Um, The designs of the characters were given to me by Ryan and they were pretty much, you know, I was told, these are the the designs and the approaches that we have decided upon. But (laughs) I spared Ryan because I, and it's like my first, Running with like toxic fandom now that's everywhere. But it, this was this was you know I never had experience with this. But someone wrote me a really nasty email about how they hated the presentation of Wolf'sbane, and I was like they were very personal and very ugly. uh Not you know not racist, not a Nazi, not homophobic, but just not nice, not a nice person, which is bad enough. And <laughs> I wrote them back, and I said, look, number one, just so that you know, this design was something that I inherited. Number two, Wolf Spain's not a person. I'm a person, and you're yelling at me over a fictional character and ruining my night. Is that how you want to? And he wrote, "I t- this guy wrote the most apologetic mea culpa that I've ever seen." He's like, "I, you're one hundred percent right. I am so sorry. I don't know what I was thinking. You're you completely. You know, uh, you know, good luck to you, and I, I apologize." So I was like this won't happen again. In fandom, this is an isolated incident. <laughs> and then we look at uh, all the
0: people who've left Twitter as a result of the same thing. <laughs>
2: and, and the other part of it is, ironically, when the X-Men uh, for Civil War, the Civil War crossover, when the X-Men showed up, yes, I had their costumes, but I was still basically like, hey, just do your version. Like, make it make it fit within this world. So I actually, ironically, got a lot more freedom to make Cyclops kind of creepy just kind of lurking in the background, kind of just being weird. You don't really see, you know, he's got no expression. You can't see his eyes. I thought that would be interesting. I drew Spider-Man for one of them and I kind of made him gangly and kind of weird, just kind of someone that you would think is just, I don't trust that guy. Uh, So it's just interesting. I had I had more feeling with the well-established characters, actually. Hmm. Great. So uh, a lot of people, even that watch a lot of movies are not
0: familiar with the genre of noir. Uh, right <laughs> they haven't seen the old classic films. Uh so just a quick poll for everybody. Do you have a favorite Noir movie? Sunset Boulevard comes to mind for me as uh as a top. Uh Laura, uh the Alfred Hitchcock film is another. Uh do you guys have any favorite Noir movies?
1: Uh, I would
2: say oh, go, no go do that again. Go ahead. I'll I'll be quiet. Oh sorry, Casablanca. Mm-hmm. Anything with bogey? Dennis, Terrell. Uh I just recently rewatched *Double Indemnity* in 4K, and it's just—it's—it's it's incredible. It's an incredible movie. Uh, if, if people don't know, uh, the, the premise is an insurance adjuster uh, who knows his boss is very meticulous is seduced, sort of, by a femme fatale who, you know, wants to kill her husband and collect in the insurance. It's not exactly—it's a little bit more nuanced. I would—that's what I thought the premise was. Rewatching it after a couple of years, I realize it's a, it's a little bit more nuanced than that. It's kind of interesting. Uh, so I highly recommend it. It's terrific. Mm.
3: I think my favorite is probably Sunset Boulevard. If I'm going for detective films of that era, I'm more likely going towards the Thin Man series, the more mm, sure. route. Um, so um, which
0: have their own sort of niche fandom. So Marvel did a line of noir books. We get the shadowy detective in a superhero world. In a lot of their books, they went back in the past. Uh, Spider-Man noir is set back in the 20s. We saw the Mystery Men book. Brian Michael Bendis did a great series called Alias uh, with Jessica Jones, which kind of later became that Netflix series. Uh, and then we got X-Men noir. Richie, you've read X-Men
1: noir, right? What, what did you like about it? Oh, I adored that book. I've, I have it now. I have it in my collection. Um, I do too. <laughs> Me too. No, I, I I love it. Uh, I remember opening up and seeing that first image of Jean Gray dead and she's like in the water. And it it blew my mind because because it was I've never seen an image like that of like in an X-Men comic. So, you know, it was I reading it at the time it was really um really changed my opinion on like what comic books can be and or what you can do with them.
0: So yeah. So uh, Dennis, you got to build this world with Fred Van Lent, who's one of my all-time favorites, uh, at least from when I was working on the handbooks. I had a lot of correspondence with Fred, who's just a wonderful, wonderful human. Uh, tell us a little bit about X-Men
2: Noir and the work you did. Well, I hope you guys find this interesting because it, it is like like I've said before, as in so many things, it's a little bit complicated. Uh, after um, I made friends with a great editor named Nate Cosby, who was there, I don't know if you, if you knew Nate at the time, but he basically asked me what I wanted to do. And I said, well, I had this idea for a Captain America detective series where the, the premise would be, uh, Steve Rogers serves out you know his time in the army, but he doesn't get frozen in the ice. He does what a lot of GIs did uh, back then was he became a cop. He became a New York cop. And by the time we catch up with him, he's been uh, sickened by the corruption in the police system and he's become basically a chandler detective in 1940s la um and in a lot of ways a lot of the details uh of the story are very similar you know we started with a dead body and it was the idea of taking a character that was well known and she's dead and what's the mystery and how does it unfold we uh, was put together with fred van lente who uh reconfigured a bunch of stuff And we went, we went, I went to go work for DC and we went around the story for like a year, not me and Fred, but me, Fred and Marvel changing details, changing details, moving stuff around. And one of the earliest edicts was like, well, can this be the X-Men? And we're like, yes, it can, because we want to sell this book. So yes to that. Um, but then we began to move parts around. And what was funny by the, by the end of the, just about a year. The day we were ready to start writing and drawing the script, it was almost the exact same story we had right at the beginning almost exactly. Everything had just, and I, I really feel no one went back to the original script. It was like, I think, honestly, I'm blowing a little smoke here, but I think it's really true. I think Fred's initial outline was so strong that the more they tried to pick at it and change it, the more resilient it turned out to be. And the more it turned out that it kind of had, except for some details, it had to be the way it is. Sure. Um, and what was great fun about that particular series is because it's our series, the noir-verse noir or whatever, anybody could live, anybody could die. It, it was completely up to us and we were given complete freedom. We, there was no edit about who could live, who could die. It was a murder mystery. Um, and then my understanding was that Spider-Man Noir was something that had been being developed separately as sort of a Spider-Man mystic kind of a thing.
0: Sure, yeah.
2: Uh, And then someone, I think Dan Buckley, but someone decided, oh, why don't we put these two together as like a mini line, and then add some obvious ones like Daredevil, uh, and um, what was the fourth one? Wolverine, Wolverine was a separate separate (laughs) character. But that Wolverine Noir was not our Wolverine, which is funny, it was a completely separate character. So we, we were just able to do, and they asked us. We weren't in charge of anything, but I do remember they asked us, like, "What do you think of magic, or what do you think of this?" And we, and Fred said, "You know, anything in our minds. What the basic edict was is, what if Jack Kirby and Stan Lee had met before Marvel? Had they met in the '30s when the biggest thing was was pulp heroes? So what if they conceived these characters, but in that environment?" And so we're like. Anything we think that anything that would have been cool in the 30s in terms of a shadow pulp or, a, or an amazing stories pulp or whatever uh, adventure novel, adventure story that's okay. So, magic, cool, monsters, cool, crime, cool. Like we, we could do almost all of it, just no superpowers, basically, was, was what, it, what it came down to.
0: And your work on both of these books that we're talking about X-Men Noir and X Factor, uh, you were nominated for awards for both like this is revolutionary. Well, the book was the
2: book was awarded. I should, I should correct you the book was awarded. I was not I, I was um the book was nominated. To my knowledge, X Factor was, I think one of the noir titles were but not ours. I don't think if I'm remembering correctly. but I was very excited uh, when the um when X Factor was nominated. I was I was very young and very giddy, and I was like to Tom Brevoort. I was like, um, "Can I can I get the award if we win?" And he's like, "We're not going to win, but knock yourself out." <laughs> he's like, um, "Whatever." Both
0: I reread both this week. They're great. I read your your other Marvel stuff uh, as well. So I'll be promoting some of this as we as we release the episode. But overall, uh, when I have a chance to sit down with one writer's or one artist's work and kind of look at it all in a row, you certainly see themes and styles. Uh, and you kind of get to know someone's style uh, kind of indelibly. Um, uh, we've had, you know, Juan Ferreira or, or Adam Gorham or different people and, and like I, I can pick their pencils out of a lineup at this point because you spend sure, a lot yeah. of time examining. Uh, your style is unlike anybody else's. I think it's really, really gorgeous work. Uh, it's, it's wonderful to hear a lot of the method behind it. Um, before we transition into our issue review, Richie or Daryl, do you have any questions you'd like to ask Dennis? Feeling okay? Uh, Dennis, let me ask you really quickly what is your uh, what is your all time favorite x man and X-Villain?
2: If you chose Wolverine? X-Men to draw or to read, uh, you can answer either, I suppose. Okay, <laughs> or both I draw. I, I love drawing Wolverine. Actually, you know what? Mm, let me think. A, you know, it's a different answer every day. I think the answer to both is Wolverine. He's so cool with the hair and the claws. And it's just—it's very natural to you can move him. And I, what I loved in at noir was we were like, well, what are we going to do about the the claws? He can't have claws. And then I discovered, just doing research by accident, that fishermen use these sort of—it's like a dowel with these tines uh, sticking out of them that are designed to drag in fish nets. And I'm like, he's a sea cat. He's Popeye. He's what he is. And he's just—he's just, he's just <laughs> dragging, fighting with these things. And Fred's like, all right, let's do that. Um, favorite X Men villain? Jesus, so many. Most right. people
0: give us Magneto or Mystique. That Magneto, that Mystique. <laughs>
2: not, not one of those two. It's one of the weirder ones. I love Apocalypse, uh, of course. I'll say Apocalypse. Apocalypse okay. is cool.
0: That's a great answer. Uh, they've done a lot of stuff with the with Apocalypse in the books in the last few years. If you haven't read it, it's it's a lot of fun. Uh, so with yeah, that, right. let's transition into our issue review today. Uh, This is not an X-Men book. This is an era of Spider-Man where he has graduated high school. He is off into college. There are all kinds of complicated relationships happening. He's roommates with Harry Osborn, who is dating Mary Jane Watson. Uh, Spidey has been going after something called the, the Tablet of Life, I believe it's called, which is an artifact that shows up every few years in the Spider-Man books, most recently uh, in, in the last volume of Spidey, actually, right before uh, Zeb Wells took over. Uh, so this artifact can give life back. The Kingpin just used it in the comics to bring his son, Richard Fisk, back to life. It's not super consequential, but in the previous issue, Spider-Man lashed out, Jay Jonah Jameson got hurt, but it was all captured on camera. So now everybody thinks he is just this terrible person and uh, like Spidey does, he is wrestling with the guilt of all that. So we're going to talk about this issue uh, kind of briefly, focusing on some of our ex-characters along the way. Uh, but let me hear your thoughts, and, and, and Dennis in particular, I'd love to hear your thoughts on the art as we're going through this. Uh, uh, this is uh, Stanley and John Ramita Sr. John Ramita's pencils uh, in Spider-Man at this time are iconic. They are wonderful. When you look at the cover of this book, we see uh, Quicksilver running at super speed, punching Spider-Man multiple times. Uh, I think it's an absolutely gorgeous cover. One of my favorites that we've covered actually, since I've been doing this podcast uh, across the way. What are your thoughts on this cover? What works for you or what did you not like?
2: I mean, it's John Romita Sr. That's the Spider-Man when I was a little kid. That's That was Spider-Man to me. Yeah. Uh, my first thought seeing the cover was who decided to make Quicksilver green? It just doesn't. It's <laughs> Quicksilver. It's
0: nothing like that. Quick green. Quicksilver it's, was it's, green it's, right from the beginning, and then uh, in the Brotherhood of Evil, it's just
2: a very strange choice to me. I'm sure. I'm sure there was a reason.
0: Yeah, that no, that's pretty his, pretty it was. Sure. It was his look in the '60s, and then it, with the Avengers, yeah. he went blue, but then he went back to Magneto
2: and went green again. <laughs> very strange. Maybe it was to bounce off Scarlet Witch, as complementary colors, red and green. So maybe that was the, the thought. But I was always just it's very odd to me, but uh, it's a great cover and it's it, it harkens back to something I hope we do get back to someday in our industry, which is just a, a cover that tells a story. I mean they, they do it every once in a while, but for the most part covers are still just kind of like model shots and I just I loved when I was a kid picking up a comic and going like, oh what's oh I can see you know preview what's gonna happen inside the story looks exciting. Um, that's that was my main thought.
0: Yeah, yeah. Uh, Richie, Darrell, any thoughts on the
1: cover? Oh, I just, i love it. I like how it's so di- uh, dynamic. Uh, like how, like he's punching Spider-Man, and this how his body is moving. Like, like how, like, like, like Spider-Man looks like he's in pain, like he's getting his ass whooped. You know, so that, that that's what I really like about it. Just the action of it. Yeah, Quicksilver looks amazing here. <laughs> I love the
3: use of black. As the background. And mm. um, it just adds that extra punch, no pun intended for what Quicksilver is giving Spider Man, but <laughs> it really does focus the reader's well eye on what's going on. Um, that, all right, like this is basically spoiling the end of the book for us because it happens. We know that we're going to build to this no matter what comes before. So it's setting the reader's expectation that. There's going to be some action, and hey, Quicksilver, who maybe you sort of got to like him when he was with the Avengers, but then, you know, the whole complication with Magneto, well, he's still up to no good. So let's figure out why and how he and Spider-Man
0: are now connected. Quicksilver is sometimes a hero, sometimes a villain, and sometimes just a dude who makes a lot of bad choices, and that's what we're going to say in yeah. this issue. Uh, I'm, going we remember, all? I'm going to- Yes, I suppose we are. <laughs> Uh, I'm going to yes, cover you, the you the
2: human condition.
0: I suppose I did. Yes. I should uh, patent that for therapy or something. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so I'm going to cover the Spider-Man stuff relatively quickly here. We see a really beautifully uh, John Ramirez uh, uh, designed Spidey here. He is looking fit. He is sitting shirtless on his bed, feeling helpless. How no matter what he does, everything always turns to disaster. He it's the Parker luck. Everything is awful. Uh, uh, Harry Osborn returns home. Uh, Harry has the worst haircut in Marvel Comics history. Uh, (laughs) It is carbon copied after his father. Uh, They had to know how bad it was, and they just have owned it over the years. I'm remembering an issue of uh, Joe Kelly's Deadpool in the late 90s, where Deadpool goes back in time into an early Spidey book. And sees Harry Osborn's hair and is like, "What the fuck is wrong with her?" <laughs> you get to hear that from Deadpool. I think it's like number eleven from the Kelly series, which is uh,
2: which can, is amazing. Uh, can I speak to that? For, can I speak to that for a second? Yes, yes, please. You know, it, it's interesting because I, you know, when I was a kid, I also had the same reaction. Like, what, what, like, what is this meant to represent in in, in real life? And I don't know. And, and maybe there's some information out there that contradicts this, but I I think that. It was just a design choice, like, so that when you see it, you know who you're looking at, because, you know, one one challenge that I have found uh, doing books like James Bond or the book I'm working on now, a lot of people are wearing suits and they're not wearing colorful costumes, is that it becomes more of a challenge to differentiate who is who, like, ideally in a comic, if a figure is an inch high, you should be able to know who they are. If two guys are in suits, you should be able to know which one's which, and right. so... I think it was just my theory would be it's just a choice to go like every time he walks in, you're going to know exactly who he is. There's not going to be any confusion Uh,
0: in the Avengers books. uh, I feel like George Perez, out of all the Avengers artists, is the only artist where I can look at a panel and see unmasked, of course, Captain America, Hawkeye or Hank Pym. And You're if it's George Perez drawing it, they're all blonde with the same haircut. If it's Perez drawing it, I can tell the difference. But most artists, yeah, they yeah. just look like three blonde guys. Like it's not
2: the same. <laughs> yeah, we're where a lot of artists are trained to just go, this is the face, and I can do like John Berlin. This is the face. And uh, and John John has a wonderful modular way of drawing where it's go here's the basic face but i can do different ears i can do a different nose i can put that chin and you kind of you've seen all of those parts in other john byrne drawings but he he is able to put them together so you go oh that's superman that's batman that's somebody else um and george was just god bless him uh god rest his soul he was just incredibly um a wonderful artist but almost even more so just so meticulous it's so meticulous so in, in, in his detail that it made his stuff such a joy and, and, and easy to read because a number one rule is clarity. Yeah, Like you don't want people to look at your stuff and be confused as to what they're looking at unless that's what you're trying to do.
0: Yeah, one, one of just the best of our generation. His JLA that's Avengers, cool. I mean, hundreds of characters that all look distinctive. He's amazing. Um, So Spidey, uh, Peter quickly hides his Spidey costume under a bathrobe. He comes out to talk to Harry, hopes that Harry doesn't look down at his Spidey booties and realize his identity.
2: (laughs) Half-assing it as usual. I love it.
0: Uh, Harry's back from a night of dancing with MJ. Uh, We cut over to uh, Peter realizing he took pictures of his recent fight. Maybe he can... Develop the photos and prove that he didn't harm J. Jonah Jameson, and he's actually a good guy. Uh, we cut over to, uh, to Quicksilver with uh, the Scarlet Witch and the Toad. We learn that after Avengers number 53, when they left Magneto, uh, they stole a ship, but it crashed. They are stuck. They don't know what to do. Uh, Peter uh, Pietro very quickly grows protective over Wanda, as always. He promises her, uh, don't be concerned. At least we're safe. She worries that they're still outcasts. Uh, Toad chimes in, and remember Toad just kicked Magneto into the ocean, which is amazing. Uh, Toad (laughs) Toad chimes in and says, "Uh, if only we could prove that we are not evil. Everything was the fault of Magneto. We had no choice but to obey him. So he's quickly going into a place where he's maybe realizing he was not wrong. Uh, Pietro, of course, thinks maybe the Avengers would take us back, which I think they would because they have a thousand times over the years. (laughs) And uh, he rushes off to, uh, to see if they will do so. Uh, Let me turn it over to uh, Daryl for pages six through 10. uh, Just kind of walk us through what happened. Yeah. um, And first, I don't know if this is a coloring restoration
3: issue within Marvel Unlimited, but the Scarlet Witch is fuchsia
0: in. Oh, is that so? version. It's,
3: it's the fuchsia witch.
0: She Uh, is very, yeah. It's very, very
3: pink. It is very pink. Um, so uh, Pietro is like, "All right, you stay here with Toad and our ship. I'm gonna go, uh, you know, get us an inn." Um, he goes to Avengers Mansion. Jarvis is there monitoring. Poor, overworked Jarvis. Um, <laughs> the guy probably worked 18 hours a day, and uh, his he duty- never left. Yeah, right. Like, I think maybe his bedroom is actually that monitor room. They're like, "Oh, you sleep <laughs> in here. Um, if an alarm goes off you're responsible but don't forget we want breakfast at seven too Um, and so he pops into avengers mansion and jarvis is like quicksilver you so you can tell that jarvis has some strong feelings about him because usually he's very deferential to the avengers but he's
0: like oh you're here well, Quicksilver, upon leaving the Avengers uh, a few issues back, was uh, was very much like, I'm homo-superior and humans are terrible. So I, I kind of get it. It's okay. <laughs>
3: <laughs> and the Avengers aren't home, of course. Like, no matter what book you're reading, when one team goes to find another, they are never home. Um, right. Notoriously, the Fantastic Four are always busy. Um, and... The Avengers are in Africa and um, there's a real cringe reference to the dark continent um, of Africa. Um, but they're there because they're doing some stuff with the Black Panther over in Wakanda. So um, Pietro then slows down, he's like, fine, I'm I'm going. And then he speeds off and gets clubbed by a bundle of newspapers. At first he thinks he's being attacked because it's Pietro, he has a victim complex. He's like, attacking me. Oh,
0: wait, it's just some newspapers. It's the morning edition. In uh,
3: like
0: In like giant letters, question mark, exclamation point. Am I attacked? Yes. Um, <laughs> and uh,
3: he sees that, oh, Spider-Man is wanted for attacking someone. Maybe, maybe I can use this to my advantage. We uh, cut to the hospital where J. Jonah Jameson is resting, um, he suffered more than a case of shock, nothing more than a case of shock, but he's going to need complete rest for the next few weeks, which I feel if you've um, lived since 2020, if you accumulate all of the shock that we've had and the number of weeks we would need to rest, it would be <laughs> in the decades at this point. So,
0: uh, I did, a, uh, I did a whole therapy session about that just before this podcast with someone. We can talk about that later. But yeah, we're being inundated with trauma as humans right now. It's exhausting.
3: We really are. And it, Jameson has taken a few weeks off, which we know won't happen. He's a workaholic. He's going to drive himself to cardiac arrest probably again um, within days of this happening.
0: Well, and also because of the sliding time scale in the 60s, he was like, 40 years old, but now he's like 110 because he was alive during World <laughs> War II.
3: <laughs> and um, it must be his assistant editor. I think. Yeah, that's
0: that's Robbie Robertson. He's one of my absolute yeah, favorites.
3: I have never read classic Spider-Man before this issue, and it's been such a treat to read it because it's so fun to pick up just a one-off issue of a comic and immerse yourself, and this does a good job.
0: I love um, I love Robbie Robertson. He's there with his wife Martha and, and his son Randy. And Randy Robinson is also often uh, Peter Parker's roommate too in the comics. Yeah.
3: John Jameson shows up to check on his dad. Um, I know John Jameson from the She Hulk series um, because he and She Hulk are involved a little bit. Um, and um, we we get him leaving the hospital. Robbie Robbie right? Mm-hmm. Yep. Yes. So he's leaving. He's going home. He's like, shit, I have so much work to do now because I have to cover for Jameson. And then he's worried about his son and we just want him to do what's right. Um, it's very 60s parent in terms of we just want him to do the right thing and turn out well. And Peter Parker shows up at the office the next morning after he Robbie spent most of the night Working and he says, Hey, I have some pictures. You want to buy them? It proves that Spider-Man is innocent. And here are the actual shots of what happened. And Robbie's response is say these are dynamite. And he pays Peter Parker a fistful of cash, like more than he ever would have gotten out of Jameson, which is going to cover Aunt May's rent and all the other bills. And he's gonna have a little spending cash extra. And he books it out of those offices with that check. He's like, have the pictures, see you, bye. He's getting down to
2: Chase Manhattan before anyone can stop him.
0: Yeah.
1: <laughs> so Get it to cash. Um, so. and, we
2: don't,
0: and we don't have to spend time on them, but he also runs by uh, Betty Brant and Ned Leeds, who are both classic Spidey characters as well.
2: I, I would like to point out that those photographs, I looked at them, they don't prove anything. <laughs> that no, could no. easily be Kingpin trying to keep Spidey from stealing it. It doesn't, doesn't it's not, I'm like, I'm like look, looking at it, reading it, looking at it, I'm like, these don't prove anything.
0: <laughs> That's actually true. <laughs> if well, anything, given, it, given that in the modern continuity, Kingpin has been the mayor of New York and Spidey is still not trusted by people. <laughs> There's yeah. an ongoing narrative here. <laughs> so it was a, a fun little section of five pages that you gave me that
3: um, we leave off with Spidey taking the money and running.
0: Uh, and then, uh, Dennis, do you want to walk us through the next Yeah, Tell us what happens.
2: Yeah, so Spidey, now he's exiting the uh, Daily Bugle, and he's got to clean some house, because the first problem is he's got to get rid of this tablet. And so he goes to Captain Stacy, uh, who sort of trusts him, uh, and then he drops the tablet. He's like, Blet, there it is. Take it. Uh, you'll know what to do. Uh, keep it safe from the Kingpin. And he he books it, and Stacy says, I think rather ominously, wait, I want to talk to you. And he's like, some other time I got things to do. Like, wait a minute. This is the captain of the police. If he, it's like, I got to talk to you about something. I'd probably want to listen, but no, he's too busy doing something else because Spidey doesn't do anything as good as making his own problems. Well, and if you're you're
0: Spider-Man fans, this is another classic character. This is George Stacy, who's
2: the dad of Gwen Stacy. Gwen Stacy. Yeah, yeah. So then Quicksilver shows up and decides uh, because he trusts the newspaper, he trusts the media that uh, Quicksilver, that uh, Spider-Man's a bad guy, and he's going to bring him to justice. Not going to study anything. Not going to look at files about what Spider-Man's power set might be. He's just going to just do it. Um, so there, And and when I read this, and I read a couple issues on either side, what it occurred to me was so much fun. Is that this era of comics feels to me more like anything. Like just describing a kid taking his two favorite action figures and just bashing them together. <laughs> yes. Quick shows up and he hits Spidey and Spidey goes, No. And Quick says, Yes, no, no, get away. Bad, you're bad. I'm I'm good guy. Spidey man. Uh and uh there's a pretty dynamic fight. It's fun. Uh the recolor is not terrific, but you know, that's we got what we got. Um and uh He's kicking Spider-Man's ass pretty good by the end when we cut to James uh, Jonah Jameson's son, um, who is uh, attending to his father. Um, and I want to just hold on one second. I want to just refamiliarize familiarize myself with this. No,
0: no, let's okay. Let's actually let Richie take those last couple pages. Okay. Yeah, please, um, please. Sorry, yeah, Richie, did I go over? I'm sorry. No, you're great. You're great. Uh, Richie, cover the back end of the book for us. What happens? Uh, how do things resolve between Pietro and Spidey?
1: Well, it's, it's a fun fight. It's fun as hell. You know, preacher has got Spider-Man on the ropes. Spider-Man's got Free Show on the ropes and, you know, they keep on going, going at it and they're fighting, but there's this great scene with JJ. He wakes up and he finally reads the magazine or the, the newspaper. And he finds out that, that those photos had vindicated Spider-Man and he's pissed. He's living. <laughs> it's, it's actually my favorite part of this of the whole comic book. And he's and he's tripping and he's so mad. And he's saying, you know, Spider-Man's guilty, 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 guilty. And I can just <laughs> see in my head and like this him tripping out. You know. I mean, jam- if a doctor saw
2: someone screaming like that, they'd be like, that guy's staying in for a while. Yeah, that J. Jonathan is always, always
1: like
0: one shouting match away from a brain aneurysm. Like that's his that's his character. <laughs>
2: oh yeah. going be like, this guy needs some Xanax, he needs to calm down.
1: <laughs> <laughs> and it's it's my favorite part of this whole the whole comic, you know, just him tripping out and flipping out. And of course, we go back to Spider-Man and, and he's fighting with uh Pietro. And and now that you see it, I don't I don't really I don't like the green uniform. His his green, it just doesn't it doesn't kick like the blue one that he would have years later. But I, I digress. Um, then we get that great scene that's from the cover, of Pietro spinning around Spider Man and hitting him. And then Spider Man finally gets it in his head that maybe you know he's throw his arm out and and knock him down. And then then he grabs him and and the cops are or after both of them, but uh, Spider Man goes up a building and frees Pietro and Pietro's like, yeah, maybe you're not too bad Spider-Man. And, and that's it. Like, that's it. You're like, <laughs> Oh, well, you know, thanks for not putting me in jail. I'm, I'm kind of a dick. Thanks Spider-Man. You're cool. And and that's literally it. Like, except,
0: except he finds the most arrogant way to say that. I shall find another way to win my redemption, not at the expense of one such as you Pietro's like <laughs> arrogant right <laughs> to the end. Yep. <laughs> There's also this thing where Pietro comes across as like very powerful unless you stick your arm out. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> He'll your ass unless you unless you trip him.
2: That's how powers work in the Marvel universe. So someone could be very powerful. Uh, could could Spider-Man beat the Hulk? Yes, if the story calls for it. No, if the story doesn't call for it. It's it's you know, <laughs> whatever works narratively.
0: Dennis, you've had the chance to uh, draw Quicksilver a little bit in X Factor. What do you like about this character? And kind of subsequent question: What's it like to draw a character with super speed?
2: It's hard because, <laughs> especially, I'm I, you know, to my detriment, admittedly, at times, I like to try to reinvent the wheel and to go. Well, I know how this has been done before, but is there another way to present this to make to, to make it a little fresh? Uh and, and and I mean this sincerely. Sometimes that's a really good approach, and sometimes it's just best to go with the with the hits and just you know so, solve the problem the way it's been solved before. Um I don't know that I'd want to draw a character like The Flash full time because it would be trying to it, it's super speed. How how do you even Superman who flies at super speed it's, it's not his thing that he does all the time, so it would be Superman you could be like a like a ribbon of color. To show he's flying and he's landing and then you're, you're done with that but for the first quicksilver running is this thing and uh also if you ever try to like draw someone running they look at like the biggest dork on the planet like they're all up like this and it just it doesn't look right you have to you have to exaggerate it in such a way that it doesn't look all dorky but doesn't look like it's too silly or they're gonna fall on the ground like i thought I thought Zack Snyder's approach in Justice League was, you know, interesting, but I don't know that it was necessarily convincing. I don't know if I felt like, you know, I, if, I don't know if anyone remembers the bionic man, but he would, you know, whenever he was running fast, it would be slow motion. And even as a, like a little kid, I was like, this does not work. This is not effective storytelling. I'm three and I know this. Uh, so challenge, challenging, but I like his little hair and his, you know, his weird little face. I like that.
0: Do you like the character Quicksilver?
2: Yeah, I do. I do. Like, like, again, so many stories that any character you tell me, uh, yeah, there's stories that I've loved them and there's stories that I thought it was okay. But yeah, there's stories that I, I I cherish that Quicksilver is involved. There's an issue. I want to say John Byrne drew this like, a, Avengers annual that was fucking awesome. That was basically centered around Quicksilver. And it was like, that book was my treasure for years. Like it was just so well drawn. And there's so many characters. There's like one... Uh, one large panel with like 50 Avengers and Byrne didn't do a lot of that kind of stuff. And everyone was meticulously drawn. It was gorgeous. And that, like I said, that was my enchanted treasure for many years.
0: So uh, we we referenced earlier and uh, for our longer term listeners, we've done a whole trial of Quicksilver on our, on our podcast. We have a lot to say on this character, which is partly why I picked up this issue. It's not a very x men book, but we get Toad and Pietro and Wanda in kind of a seminal moment, transitionally, uh, right after this, I'm, I'm pausing my narrative. Right after this, uh, I, I believe their kind of next arc for them is uh in, in Avengers in a couple of years, where Archon the Magnificent uh comes from Polymachus and says, Wanda, you shall be my bride, and takes her back to uh his land and keeps Toad captive there for a while. <laughs> that's that's kind of their next big space. Uh um anyway, uh we wanted to cover this primarily. Pietro uh in House of M. So when we when we tie up the continuity to Dennis's X Factor book, uh, Pietro is at his absolute worst. He is calling himself a messiah. He is doing all of this shitty people. If you've read Son of M, you know what we're talking about. And Peter David took this like character at his absolute worst and just kept him terrible all through his X Factor run. And it's kind of brilliant. He's just <laughs> He's just awful. And he just embraces how awful he is. Uh, leading future writers to really work to undo <laughs> how, how unawful or how, how terrible Pietro was and try to make him a hero again. Uh, Daryl, do you have any comments on Pietro? I know you're a big fan. Yeah, um, he he is pretty terrible in X Factor. Um
3: it's interesting doing this read through now and really diving in, just parsing out those particular moments where he is manifesting himself as just a bastard. Um and <laughs> setting him like the hubris involved with who his character is throughout that series is off the charts. So um sometimes it's nice to go back and visit him in simpler times where um maybe he was more black and white. And when he was, you know, really bad, he was bad, but when he was good, you could get behind him. You could support him. So um he's much more, of course, I mean, he has, how many decades of history now, like so many shades of gray to that character now. But when you go back to the 60s, you're able just to look at the characterization and see how fun such a character was before you get that legacy built up and have to contend with it.
0: Shades of gray or perhaps shades of light green. Light green, (laughs) yes. Sometimes going to blue somehow. Uh Quicksilver uh in, in a storyline shortly after his X Factor run, uh is he's now on an Avengers team and he goes, Hey everybody, I just want you to know it wasn't me that did all that shitty stuff. It was a scroll. <laughs> and his daughter Luna walks up and says, actually, I can see that you're not telling the truth, you jerk. Like he's he's got a lot of arrogance this guy uh as we're as we're kind of wrapping up what was it like for you guys to read this issue i know this was not even for our listeners not a super x-men centric book but we just got to have a little fun with uh with pietro versus spidey which is just really the the thing that stands out to me most on this is the pencils are just gorgeous uh this is definitely a spider-man story we just brought some characters in sort of like dennis said it's the uh, action figure mashup for a minute uh on, on a longer spidey story but uh but i think it's a fun read uh tell me what kind of stood out to you guys uh, did you enjoy yourselves uh, anything that you that you really uh really had a fun time with or hated did i go that'd be fine too yeah go ahead dennis
2: um it's always fun to go back and especially you know as i get older i can begin to infer why certain decisions were made like you know like a, a lot of this is it's a Spider-Man comic. Let's let these kids know it. There's this character called Quicksilver and Scarlet Witch. And there's this thing called the X-Men, which always worked on me. I was always like, what's that? I got to know what that is. I got to buy another book. Um, and the drawing's superb, of course. And just the fun of like characters going to show up, they're going to fight and they're going to leave. And just to be that simple and you don't have to make it a seven part arc. Uh, when comics were for kids and the kids at heart, it's just something really nice to read.
0: Well, and I'll say, we, we've we been reviewing 60s X-Men on my podcast for a while now. And 60s X-Men is mediocre most of the time. 60s Spider-Man is fucking great. So if yes. you go back and read it front to back, not I mean, not every issue is a winner. But by and large, it's really, really good. 60s Fantastic Four, once you get past the very beginning stuff, is also really top quality. Uh, 60s X-Men... Eh. <laughs> yeah it was almost canceled like every other
2: month (laughs) yeah
0: we just Neil uh, Neil adams
2: Neil adams did that book
0: we just did uh beast and ice man versus the maha yogi in the episode prior so yeah you know (laughs) uh daryl and richie any thoughts on this book um
1: it was it was fun it was a great read um I I really love the JJ parts where he's flipping out and, and and he's crazy. It's such a silly. It's so silly. It's so silly, but I love it. But I do love that first page of Spider Man, and he's just down, and he has that Peter Parker bad luck, and he's just everything I try, everything I do seems to end a disaster. You know, I you know I'm reading this and and like I like I told you I I just got over COVID, so I'm reading this while I have COVID, and everything seems horrible and I like in that moment I relate to that page so much like everything I'm doing my whole life is stopped for two weeks and it's really funny that I would just be reading this page over and and over and over again preparing for for the podcast and I relate to it and actually it helped me a lot like I can't tell you how much your podcast helped me through those two weeks oh yeah that's that's all I got
0: well, at the very least, I hope to be entertaining, but uh, but I'm making friends along the way, too. So I'm, I'm so glad to have you here, Richie, and I'm glad you're feeling better, man. Uh, Daryl, any last thoughts?
3: Yeah. So picking this up really reminded me of being a kid and going to a flea market, and you don't know what you want to read. You're just going through, like, this stack of comics maybe a seller has, and you pick one up, and you give it a try, and you don't need to know anything from before or after. You can just right. enjoy the issue for what it is. That's how I first fell in love with the Avengers. It was a George Perez cover. Um, It was like 190 something or something like that. Great Gargoyle was on the cover. And of course, I was growing up in the early 90s and Gargoyles was a big thing. So I picked up something that I'm like, maybe it's the Gargoyles. It wasn't. Um, But it reminded me of uh, just go out there and pick up a random issue. If you think this cover, like this cover was fantastic. This would draw you in. If you were just leafing through a box and you saw that, you're like, I'll give this a try. It looks fun. So if you have a local comic store, I encourage people just to go dig in the dollar bin and find a funky comic that looks like it might be fun. Give it a try. At worst, it will give you 20 minutes of entertainment. And you're like, I don't think I need to read this anymore. At best, you found something that you want to follow along with and maybe find other issues of. So, yeah, we're
0: or, or even better. Pick up an indie book from time to time. Just try yeah. something new, yeah. Oh, absolutely. Something like,
3: and uh, in those bins that a lot of uh, local stores have, it's a mixture of ev- everything. It can be Marvel, DC, Independent, all mixed in. Just find something that looks cool and fun and something you've never read before and give it a try.
0: Excellent endorsement. Uh, two Excellent. things I'll say uh, in conclusion. Uh, spider-man has the best supporting cast in comics they absolutely are beloved wonderful characters that have been a soap opera, opera decades yeah and 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 you get a soap opera where he's basically the only super powered character plus whoever whatever villain or team up he's in that issue uh the x-men has a ton of soap opera as well but it's much more uh you know cosmic because everybody's got powers <laughs> it's it's a very different type of thing um right. number number two um the uh the The logic of Quicksilver in this issue, I just think it needs to be stated outright. He quit the Avengers by being a huge asshole, saying humans are the worst. I'm going back to Magneto. Now he's leaving Magneto, trying to find an in with the the Avengers again. So he rushes into the mansion without knocking. They're not there. And and then his first thought is maybe if I beat up Spider-Man, then they'll take me back. Because I read a headline and it said Spider-Man wanted. So let me go fucking beat this guy up and then let's see if they'll take me back after that. Uh, This guy is not an effective team leader or a strategist. (laughs) He's the worst. He's the worst. (laughs) Toad might do a better job, and that is not saying much. (laughs) Uh, Well, this has been a lot of fun. Uh, As we're wrapping up, uh, let everybody know where we might be able to find you each online if you would like to be found, and what might be coming up for you uh, in your respective work, given that this issue or this episode should come out around July 15th. Uh, if there's anything you can announce that we could look forward to. Uh, Dennis, would you like to go first?
2: Sure. I believe that the first issue of my science fiction horror series, Interference Pattern from Storm King Comics, is uh, coming out in at the end of July, July 27th to be specific. And then where can people find you online? Uh, DennisCalero.com. Two N's, one L. And love to see you guys.
0: Fantastic. And you're on Twitter as well under Dennis Claro, correct? At Dennis Claro. Yes. Very fantastic. Fantastic. Uh Richie, same question.
1: Oh, just, uh, you can find me on Twitter, uh, Richard Caronis. uh Just nonsense about X-Men. Just always talking nonsense mm-hmm. about the Summers family. Uh, that's it.
0: Oh, and then I always call you Richie Sorrows. I know that's not your last name, but you post some gorgeous photography on Instagram under, under Richie Sorrows as well. Correct. Oh yes. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Yeah. I do. Thank you so much. Yeah. Yeah. It's good work. Uh,
0: And uh, I know you've got some big stuff happening in your life right now. Uh, Richie and I are friends outside the podcast. So I'm, I'm, uh, I'm really happy to see you, man. I'm glad you're feeling better and moving on to big things.
1: Oh, I appreciate it. Appreciate it.
0: And, uh, and then finally, Daryl. Yeah. So you can find my podcast on any of your
3: uh, platforms that you utilize. It's the X Factor Files podcast. And coincidentally on Instagram, you can find us at X Factor Files podcast. So um, we're just working our way through the entire run, and by the time we hit mid-July, we are going to be, oh my, near issue 20 at that point. So um, an issue a week. I encourage people to join us, and yeah, that's about it. In my personal life, I'm going to be finishing up a book that I've put off for a long time, which is a biography of my great-grandma. So actually I took time off of work so I can finally edit because for me, the worst part of the writing process is editing your own work. So <laughs> I am forcing myself to take a week off so I can just do that and get it done. But I want to hit us up on Instagram. Um, join the conversation. We talk about not just X factor, but anything comics related or geeking out. Come on and join us.
0: I have written uh, a graphic novel, a memoir, uh, have done a podcast and I've produced a documentary. And I would say the same thing, editing is the absolute worst <laughs> when you're trying to go over your own stuff. It's the it's my least favorite process of anything in any forum. Uh, lastly, my name is Chad Anderson. I am a huge fan of all three of yours. Uh, thank you for your time and talents this afternoon thank or this you. morning, excuse me. This was uh, lovely just to sit and nerd out. My life is overwhelmingly dominated. My children are out of school and we have a lot of pets in this house, and I feel like it's always <laughs> parenting or pets or work. So this is my time to close the door and say, "Everybody, leave me alone." We're gonna go nerd out about comics for a while. Uh, coming here. up on coming up on Gray Lane, we have uh, the uh, our next episode is gonna feature X Men number forty nine. We have the all star lineup of uh, Matt Horak, Susanna Polo, uh, which is going to be just amazing. Uh, After that, we've got X-Men number 50 with uh, Steve Rude coming on uh, the pod, which I'm uh, hugely excited about. So thank you, everybody, for tuning in. Uh, Make sure to check each of our guests out uh, where you can, and uh, we'll see you back here next time on Gray Malkin Lane. Thank you so much for listening to Gray Malkin Lane. I'm pouring a lot of time, labor, and love into this podcast, and I truly hope you are enjoying it. We're seeking to create a unique space here, and I'm really proud of what we've put out so far and really excited about what we have coming up. Gray Lane is recorded and edited at a private studio in Salt Lake City, Utah. Music and editing are done by my husband, Michael Bell.